0: All right, good morning. Okay, so I figured uh, when I'm gonna be sharing my testimony, maybe I'll share a little bit about myself, because uh, this is supposed to be a life story, so I'll tell you a little bit about myself. Um, first slide, this is myself and my family. I am one of six kids, I am number two. Um, I have four sisters, one brother. He, was, he came along way late in my life. I was 16 by the time he was born. So I was like, thanks guys, thanks. I didn't get a brother until, you know, I was about to move out. It was fun for a little while, but, you know, it is what it is. Anyways, um, so I had six siblings. My dad was in the military, so we lived in numerous places. Uh, I was born in Tennessee, so we lived in Tennessee, Kentucky, uh, Oregon, Germany, and then Texas. Um, So I did get baptized. If this is what you call baptism. I felt like I was drowning uh, at the age of 10. That is me. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm drowning, but obviously I lived. So uh, any, anybody here who was baptized, you ever, like, when you go down under the water, you sit there and you start counting the seconds, you're like, hey, I've been up, I've, I've been down here long enough. That was, that was kind of my experience was like, how long do I have to be down here? And they wanted to make sure everything was washed away, I guess, you know. But anyways, so this is me right after I was baptized. Okay, so guys. This is the first and only time you will ever see me without a beard, ever. You want to know a fun fact? My wife and I have known each other for almost eight years and she's never seen me without a beard. And she never will. So uh, back in 2015, so I'll give you a little bit of story about myself and my wife. Um, Oh, fun fact about being baptized. I was baptized May 10th, 1998. That was actually the same day my wife Leah was baptized. Uh, I was here in Texas. She was in Hawaii. So you could say it was the same day, but maybe it wasn't. I don't know. The time difference. It's a little, maybe it was the 11th by the time, you know, I was here. You know, she was there. But anyways, May 10th, ninety-eight. That was a fun fact. Um, so I met my wife here at TBC. We met back in... Uh, I actually know the exact date, October 18th, 2015. It's not because I'm a romantic. October 18th's my birthday. So she's like, "I oh, wish your birthday gift? And I was like, no, you weren't, you took off. I was like, I don't know what was going on here. Um, so if anybody recognizes this, this room here, it may look a little bit different right now. I'm pretty sure the uh, upperclassmen recognize this. If not, I'll give you a clue. It's the red buildings outside. So these are the portables, and that's actually where I met my wife. Uh, we did our Sunday school over in the portables, and that's where we met. Um, and so I decided, you know, being the romantic and all, our first, uh, our first date, so we met in October, uh, 2015. Our first date was January 28th, 2016. Uh, I had her meet me at Cracker Barrel at 8 in the morning because, you know, our work schedules just didn't fit, and I didn't realize how much of a commitment it was for her to show up somewhere at 8 in the morning. Now I do, and I was just like, huh, and I, she kept telling me, oh, everybody was impressed, and I was like, why? I'm like, it's, To me, it was normal. I began work before that normally. Uh, Anyway, so being the romantic that I was, I decided, okay, when I'm going to propose to her, we're going to go to the same Cracker Barrel, and then I'm going to propose to her where we met. So I actually proposed to my wife. If you look at the portables, it's the one on the right. I'm pretty sure it's the one the the ladies use. So that's where I proposed to my wife. Um, And then we get married uh, January 28th. 2016, so exactly one year, or 2017, January 28th, 2017, so exactly one year after we started dating. So if my wife tries to tell you, oh, he's not romantic at all, I'm a little bit of a romantic. It's okay. Just a little bit. But that's it. I think it ended there. Um, Anyways, uh, we got married in the Creekside. Another fun fact, we were actually the first people to get married over in the Creekside building because they had just completed it around that time. Uh, And then years later, we had Graham uh, February 7th, 2021, so that's a little bit about me, um, so now on to, now on to the rest of it, uh, so this verse comes to mind whenever we're talking about somebody sharing their story or sharing their testimony, uh, so 1 John five eleven says that, and this is the, t- and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son, So, we see that the testimony is about God giving eternal life, but what does testimony even mean? Uh, Because sometimes that's confusing. You hear people, hey, what's your testimony? Well, what do you mean by that? Uh, So, here's a quick definition. Uh, If you Google it, this is what it comes up with. Nobody ever uses a dictionary anymore. Do you notice that? You want to know what something says? Just Google it, and Google will tell you. So... It says that your testimony is, uh, is evidence or proof provided by existence or appearance of something. But I often found that I, uh, I would typically make my testimony sound something like this. You would say that, you know, I was raised in the church, I wanted a relationship with Jesus, so I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior and was then baptized. The end. And that's my testimony. So, I mean, I say this because this is true of me. I was raised in the church. I was baptized at the age of 10. I believe I became a believer, either 9 or 10. I can't remember exactly. Um, But it was interesting because it was like when I was young, I was reading this book. uh, And this is the exact copy of it that I was reading. You see it's all tattered and torn. This thing's older than all of you in this room except for the leaders. Um, I think it's over 20 years old. So I was reading this book, and I came across this page here in the very back and it gave you this prayer that you say and say, Okay, and you're accepting Jesus. So I read it, then I took it to my mom and said, Hey, I want to know I want to know more about this. I want to do this. And so I did. And this is about I would say just for the sake of giving it a date, I would say I was ten years old when I did this. And kind of thinking about throughout whenever anybody would ask me about my testimony, I would often go and say, oh, yeah, I was, I was 10 years old. I knew I needed a Savior. I said the prayer, and that was it. Then I was baptized. And I would kind of leave it at that because I would often think of there's all these other people with all these differing testimonies where they didn't become a believer until way later on. I mean, I was raised in the church. I didn't do anything that we call horrible or anything like that, and so I would often think that, man, my testimony kind of, I felt like it was kind of lacking, like, man, I would sit there and I would think, man, I wish I did such and such a thing, or I wish that my testimony was like this, or that my testimony was like that, but I failed to understand that my testimony went way deeper than just reading a book, saying a prayer, accepting Jesus. That even though I hadn't done anything and I was so young and, I mean, didn't necessarily provide me the opportunity to do anything, uh, I was missing something. And one of the things that I realized I was missing was I wasn't understanding what a testimony really is. And so... Here's kind of my little definition of what our testimony is, is that when we are giving our testimony, that we are testifying about who God is, what God has done, and what God is doing, and what he will do. So being fairly young, when when I came to Christ, it didn't allow me that chance to do anything really bad or anything like that. And so my testimony looked kind of like, oh yeah, you know, I just prayed a prayer and that's it. Um, I knew I needed a savior, but I didn't really know what I needed the savior for. And I didn't really know that when I was looking at it, I was like, oh yeah, I'm not, I'm not as bad as a sinner as some of these people, so you know, I'm saved, but I'm not that bad. Um, but over the years, I grew to understand that, you know what, your, your testimony is a little bit more than this. Even though you feel like you haven't done anything horrible, My testimony is more than just oh yeah, i prayed a prayer uh one of my favorite quotes so this is a from american theologian um it's jonathan edwards he says that you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary uh really fun little fact about this quote here Uh, caleb delord's brother uh, actually made me a little wooden sign with this quote on it and i have it proudly displayed in my house Um, and it's definitely for myself because when I'm younger, I'm kind of thinking, hey, you know what? I'm not that bad even though I did this and even though I came to Christ. But this sign here in this quote reminds me that, you know what, even though you weren't that bad, you still needed to be saved from something, and you still needed to be called out of that darkness. You still needed to be saved from that sin. You still needed to be saved from who you were, and even though I was young and didn't feel like I did anything wrong, well, Scripture tells me that yeah, you, you're, you're in the same position as everybody else. No matter what they've done, no matter what you've done, you were born this way, just like everybody else. You were born in sin. So 1 Peter two nine, I really like this one when, when it's talking about what we were brought out of. So it tells us that you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light so i'm gonna look at the very end of this verse first and then we're gonna look at the rest of it Um, so i didn't know how lost in darkness i was even though i'd been raised in the church and even though i was fairly young when I share my testimony, I realize that it isn't about how many terrible things that I've done or the horrible things that I have or have not done. But the Bible tells us that we were born sinners, and so that we're already horrible to begin with. But putting aside all this ideas of horribleness, the gospel is about God, Jesus, the one who saved us, and that he pulled us out of this darkness and this horribleness. But I want you to also notice the rest of the passage. It's not talking in the singular form. It's talking here in the plural. And so when we share our testimony, think about that. That it's not just singular. But it's talking about a group of people. That we aren't just called unto ourselves just to be a believer all to yourself. But we're called to be believers into a people. So what does that that passage say again? It says that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. So when I think back to my testimony, it's that I was called out of darkness into a people, and as this people, we all proclaim the excellencies and the goodness of God that it isn't just my testimony isn't just oh yeah I said a prayer but it's that no what what there's more there's more to it what are we doing I'm I'm very much a firm believer that our testimony doesn't end as soon as we get say a prayer or as soon as we get baptized but that our testimony continues on from the point of our birth to the point of our death because that's an entire story because well who's working out your story it's God who's working all this out And really, the story isn't your own, but it's actually God's story that he's telling. And so this is one of those things that I realized after a while, that it's like, oh, you know what? Whenever somebody asked me for my testimony, I would kind of be like, oh, yeah, this is me, and I never did anything really bad or anything like this. And it's like, hold up now, hold up. It's not about you. It's about what God's doing. So it was interesting that when I was thinking about... Uh, what I was going to, what I was going to share as part of my testimony. Uh, last week, uh, when we had, when Dave had the se- some of the seniors come up and share some of the things that they had learned or what they wanted to share with, uh, what they wanted to share with you all, it was interesting because everything that they talked about was already something that I was thinking about adding into the message today, and I was kind of like, oh, that's, a, I was like, oh, I was thinking about making that point. And the next person, I was thinking about making that point too. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll make that point too. But then I was like, you know what? This is great because I'll just quote them. That way you guys know people that I'm quoting. And you'll just be like, hey, I know you. So one of the first uh, passages that I was quoting was Psalm 139. But I want to look at the uh, end of Psalm 139. I am not working. Can you change that for me, please? Thank you. So, Psalm 139, at the very end of it, this whole passage here is talking about how God knows us and how he knows us intimately. And at the very end, if he requests this of God. He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So when we look at the psalm, we see that, yeah, all of it is about God knowing us. But then at the very end, it talks about how God is going to reveal to us what needs to be sanctified in us. But then we ask, okay, how is that done? How do we, how are we sanctified? How are we being made holy is what it means. How are we being made more Christ-like? Well, the answer is kind of simple. It's through community. So and it was funny that Sydney starts talking about community last week. I was like, oh, I'm going to talk about community. This is funny. This is great. So it was, good list, it was good listening to them last week and when they mentioned all these things because I was like, man, I'm just going to quote all of them and it's going to be great. So what happens in community? More often than not, we just think of community as just, oh, fellowship, or we're just going to hang out and we're just going to have a good time. But we don't under, we, we sometimes fail to understand that within community is also accountability and sanctification in there. And that's kind of one of those things that we kind of put to the side and we think, oh, okay, yeah, I'm just, we're just going to hang out, we're just going to have a good time, which is typically how I thought about it when I was growing up and I was in high school, was that, oh, yeah, I'm just going to hang out with my church friends and we're going to have a good time. Uh, but when I was younger, I kind of failed to realize that Within this, we are supposed to be pushing each other to be more Christ-like, and so I kind of want to look a little bit more at what that community looks like. And so I'm going to tell a little bit of a, a little bit of a story again for what happened in my life when it came to uh, community. And so I want you to know that. You know, after becoming a believer, life isn't always, you know, everything happy, everything just going perfectly, uh, and everybody's sitting around a fireplace, or sitting around a campfire singing kubaya and everything. Um, sometimes there are people that kind of act like it, but it's like, no, this isn't what it looks like to be a believer. We do struggle. We struggle with things that happen in life. We struggle with sin. And there was a point in my life where, you know hey, I what, I was struggling pretty bad with sin. And... So, years ago, uh, at my old church, there were a lot of things uh, just not going well, and there was a lot of fighting and division within the church, um, and I definitely played a role in some of that. Um, I, and without getting into details about things that were going on, we're just going to say that things were really bad. Uh, there was a lot of gossiping, there was just a lot of slander, um, and... I know that, like, I, looking back, that I definitely played a role. And it was, int- it was real funny last week. Gavin shared one of the, uh, the passage he shared was Romans 12. And so this automatically made me think about this time in my life, because there was a time when I was really angry with the church, and I really didn't want to be at the church. And I just kind of like. I did a lot of slandering, a lot of things that I said about people were vile, Um, but where Romans 12 comes in is that, that's what my dad would quote to me, was Romans 12, 18, every single time he saw me. So Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And this was one of those times where it's like, I just didn't want to be at peace with these people. I didn't even want to be at that church. I didn't want anything to do with anyone. But every single time he saw me, he would quote this to me. But it wasn't only my dad who would quote a passage to me. It was also other people who would call me to repentance within the community that I was. Um, There were three primary people that I can say, okay, I remember them always calling me to repentance. My dad was one. My mom was the other. Uh, The other person that I can think of was uh, my pastor. Um, he was once my youth pastor, and then he was the lead pastor. I want you to kind of think about it this way, that my relation to this pastor is kind of like you all today. Um, kind of fits the same exact way. And when I think back to this, uh, I remember him coming and confronting me on things that were not good. He was calling me to repentance. And... thinking about it, a, uh, a few months ago, uh, this pastor, his name was Brian, a few months ago he passed away from cancer, and I started to think about this time in our, in our relationship where I was just mean, and I was, I was mean to him and everybody else, and just... I can't, I I lack the words to describe how horrible or horribly I treated these people. And my wife tells me, she's like, she says, I've only seen you cry less than a handful of times. And she says, one of them was when I got news that Brian had less than a week to live. And this is how much he meant to me and my sanctification and my growth as a believer because i can recall him coming to me and calling me to repentance always and so when when i was trying to think of what did i want to share within my testimony and i realized oh, okay i'm 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 going first as far as all these people what i wanted to do was really talk to you guys about community and really talk to you guys about the people that god has placed in your lives that it's one, first of all, don't take them for granted. Because God has placed them there for a purpose. And listen to what they have to say. Because, you know, they've, a lot of them have been there before. And sometimes when we kind of realize that, oh, their time has come, it kind of feels too late. Because once I got this message and saw that, oh, he's about to pass away, the only thing I can ever think of was... How much I how much I hurt him in our relationship, uh, a lot of it was really condemning about how I was thinking about it, condemning to myself that you know you did all these horrible things um, and you treated them horribly, and kind of wondering, man how does he even think of you now and so there was. 've had we 've had talks since then since this time in our lives we 've seen each other eh, a decent amount of times and we 're amicable with each other but once you get this kind of news, you kind of go back and you can start thinking about things in the past and at this time i didn 't i didn't think about all the good times we used to we used to do things like have campouts as far as our, our youth retreats, and I mean, I went on many of those, and I would typically go early with him when we'd do all the setups, and uh, we'd do all the setup and everything, and I mean, we had a lot of great times, but once I got the news that he was passing, that's not what I thought about. I just went straight back to, oh man, you treated him so horribly. And so I started just looking through some of my old belongings, and I'm just kind of like, I don't know what I was looking for. I didn't have any idea specifically what I was looking for. So I decided I'm gonna go up in my attic, I'm just gonna look through my belongings. What are some of the old things that I have? Because I used to have photos of all of our youth trips and everything, I don't anymore, I couldn't find them. But I found this book, uh, they, my old church gave to me when I graduated high school. So they gave this to me back in 06. And I was looking through it and the book was called Life Lessons. And so I'm just flipping through there. And I come across this letter that my old pastor Brian had written to me. Uh, He wouldn't believe it. He actually wrote it on forgiveness. And so I went and read it. And I understood that Brian had already forgiven me previously about these things. But more than that, and what he pointed out specifically in this letter was that Jesus had forgiven me that there was no more condemnation for me, and that I didn't need to live in the condemnation of what I had previously done. And so looking at this, I was just like, oh man, this is, it's more fitting now, however many years later than it was back then that I'm reading this. And right now it's actually the, I was gonna bring it with me, but it's sitting in my nightstand. And it's real interesting when you kind of look, when you look back over your life and you think that your testimony is, okay, it's just this one thing. It's just this one instance of me accepting Jesus. But then you look back through all of your life and you see, no, it's not just that one instance. Christ is working throughout all of your life. And at times he'll bring people into your life to help in your sanctification. It may be for a little while. It may be for a long time and i was able to i don't i was able to email brian a little bit before he he passed away i don't know if he ever got it cuz i never heard back but i messaged him and i told him how much he meant uh, in my sanctification and i told him that whenever i tell my son about him that the scripture where jesus says about his servants the ones that he entrusted with, oh, here, I'm going to give you this amount of money, and I'm going to entrust this to you. I'm going to entrust these possessions to you. And at the end, when they came back with it multiplied, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. I told him, I said, you know what? I'm going to tell my son this passage every single time I talk about you. The reason I'm going to do that is because of how he was in community with me. He didn't just let me wander off in sin and just do, you know, whatever I wanted. But he was faithful enough to call me to repentance. He was faithful enough to let me know, hey, you you need to repent. And so, I'll ask you all, do you have those in your life who are faithful enough to call you to repentance when you need to repent of something? Do you have those people who are not afraid to possibly hurt your feelings because they care more about your spiritual well being than how you feel at that moment? And I'll tell you, I'm I'm so thankful to God that I had those people in my life that were more concerned about where I was spiritually rather than just how are you feeling today about this or that or or any such thing. But then we have a question about, okay, why are we worried about sanctification, worried about community or anything like this? Um, well, it's because it's all for the glory of God, really. This is what it's all about here. So I'm going to read to you two passages here. The first one is uh, Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And it says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So we kind of see, this this kind of fits my story a little bit. It's talking about us being sanctified, being made more like Christ, but why are we doing this? Well, to the glory of God and that God may be praised. But what happens after that? Well, I'm going to quote Nate Bowers, who's quoting his dad. And I'm going to read to you Habakkuk 2, 14. It says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. When we see that we are being sanctified and we are being made more Christ-like, we are glorifying God and his glory is being shown throughout all of the earth. And so when we have those hard times in our lives where, hey, you know what, I'm struggling with a sin and somebody comes along and says, hey, I'm going to help you with this sin, it's going to hurt a lot. Because we love our sin. But it's so worth it when you repent. Because not just that things are going to go better, but that you are now in right standing with God. And then now you're in right standing with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So I want to give you one more passage here. Just in case I haven't made the gospel abundantly clear. And then we'll be dismissed. I feel like this is one of the clearest passages. This is Romans 3, 22 through 26 about the gospel. It says that for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by grace as a gift. This is something I didn't understand when I was younger. There's no distinction between any of us. We've all sinned. We've all fallen the same. And we all fall short of the glory of God. But we are justified So this passage is laying out the gospel for us as basically as plain as you possibly can. That look, we're all in the same standing. We've all fallen short of God's righteousness, fallen short of God's glory. And he's calling us all to repentance. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So there are two things that I want you to think about and we'll dismiss to questions. First of all, I want you to ask yourself, am I, am I a follower of Christ? Have I repented? Have I turned to Christ? Because it's only through him. That word propitiation right there, that's a real fancy word. It just means the wrath of God was satisfied. And it means that it was satisfied by Jesus. It means that, hey, you know what? You sinned against God. And for God to be just, he had to show us his wrath. But through Jesus, it was satisfied that God satisfied his own wrath. I want you to ask yourselves, hey, am, have I been delivered from the wrath of God? Do I trust in Jesus that he has done this for me? Second of all, if you are a believer, think about this. The community that you're in, do we just go and hang out and just you know, have a fun time? There's nothing wrong with it. I like hanging out and just having a fun time sometimes. Um, but are we willing to let people come to us and say, hey, let me work with you in this area that you're struggling? Or are you willing to go to somebody and say, hey, you're, you're struggling in this area, let me work with you in this? I mean, it's painful, but it's something that we need to do. And we do it for the glory of God is why we do it. Alright, with that, uh, you are all dismissed to your quest to do your discussion questions. Um... Let Dave do that because we got new places to go.